This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we talk a lot about consumer proposals on the show, Blair, but I know that not everybody knows what it is, and this is such a good segment because it's going to explain in detail, if you don't know, if you're a new uh, listener to the show, what a consumer proposal is. And I, I love this, uh, the key part of it is you can cons- consolidate your your debt without a loan or interest costs. And it's and it's pretty unique um, and super powerful uh, that uh, licensed insolvency trustee Blair Manton is going to explain it all to us. Go ahead, Blair. Yeah, that, that's right, Elaine. So this one, um, you know, I kind of consider a bit of a back-to-basics segment. So we've been doing the show for a long time, but as you said, we may have some listeners who've just joined us, you know, in the past, you know, weeks or months, and we've referenced consumer proposals a lot. Um, but let's spend some time today just really talking about what is a proposal, what are the steps, and what can it do for you? Um, and, you know, just, just to start off, and you gave a, a really good intro there, Elaine, and a consumer proposal, it's a means of consolidating your debt, but you don't have to borrow. So when a lot of people think about debt consolidation, they think about marching off to the bank and getting a loan to pay off all of their other debts and then paying the bank back. And yeah, that's an option to consolidate for sure. But quite often people have difficulty qualifying for it, or maybe the debts are even so high that they can't afford to pay off a consolidation loan in a reasonable period of time. So what a consumer proposal allows you to do, it allows you to settle your debts for less than you owe by making a deal with your creditors and consolidating your debts into one manageable, usually monthly payment. So you don't have to resort to bankruptcy. This is the way you can reduce your debts, stop all the future interest, um, and allow yourself to move forward with a sense of comfort, as we always say, you know, a sense of optimism and hope about the future of your finances. And I just want to throw in here, too, that it's really important, if you don't know what a consumer proposal is, only a licensed insolvency trustee can facilitate that for you. This isn't something that some guy on the corner at a, you know, paycheck store or whatever can do for you. A licensed insolvency trustee is the only one because you, because you all are so, um, encompassed by the law and there's very specific ways of doing it. That's exactly right, Elaine. So, you know, first off, people don't need any referrals to go and see a licensed insolvency trustee. You don't need somebody to represent you. You know, if you start to Google consumer proposal, you might find a bunch of advisors who aren't trustees who are trying to sell consumer proposals. And all they're selling essentially is an introduction to a licensed insolvency trustee, which you can get for free. So your best bet is to come directly to a consumer proposal, uh, sorry, to, to a licensed insolvency trustee for a consumer proposal. And as you alluded to, Elaine, it's the most powerful debt option that's out there because it can cover everything from credit cards, bank overdrafts, payday loans, lines of credit, and even, and most people don't know this, but even government debts like your student loans and any debts to Canada Revenue Agency for taxes or maybe CERB overpayments or different things like that, which we know we're going to see a lot more of in the future. Um, And another great thing with a consumer proposal is it gives you protection. So it's the same protection as if you had filed the bankruptcy. So most people know, or they, at least they, they think they know, if you go into bankruptcy, you know, things have to stop against you. Any court actions, all those collection calls, wage seizures. Well, you get that same protection if you 
you file a consumer proposal, but you haven't had to file a bankruptcy. Now, is there a specific amount of time that you have to have it done by, or how does that work? Yeah, consumer proposal. So as we mentioned, it's usually a monthly payment, um, and the monthly payments can't extend beyond 60 months. So the maximum term of a consumer proposal is five years or 60 months, as I said, and you can pay it off sooner than that term, which is actually quite powerful. So, you know, if you do a consumer proposal now and say your payment is $150 a month, but next year you get a great job and you're able to double that payment to, to $300 a month, well, your proposal is going to be done in half the time as usual. You don't pay any penalty to get it done sooner. You just put things behind you more quickly. And that can be just so powerful when you think about, you know, if you're carrying a little bit of debt on a credit card, even something like $6,000 of debt can be 40 years of minimum payments. So a proposal by law can't be any longer than five years. And quite often, it's quicker than that, because people are able to pay it off more quickly than they anticipate. And just before we get to the steps of making one in this province, what's the parameters in terms of the size of debt? You know, it's pretty broad. Um, the proposal is eligible for anybody who owes at least $1,000, which, you know, is a pretty low bar these days, uh, with a maximum $250,000. So that encompasses, you know, just about, um, I won't say all, but most of the consumer debt situations that I see, it's been between, you know, 1000 to 250000 The most common is in the range of about twenty-five dollars to $50,000 of debt, whether it's credit cards, income taxes, student loans, or whatnot. Uh, you can still do a proposal if your debts are more than $250,000, but it's a different kind of proposal. It's not a consumer proposal anymore and some different rules apply, which we won't go into today. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I just want to mention, too, before we go into the, the sort of the general steps that you can take, um, Sands & Associates, if any of this information is resonating with you and you think you want to take some action, uh, which I recommend you do if you're thinking about it, just even to find out a little bit more and talk to somebody, I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 1-800-660-3030. That's to set up an appointment uh, as well as find an office near you. Of course, we've always been saying that, but at this point we're really setting up appointments and to do these meetings virtually is that right Blair Absolutely, yeah. So there's uh, since March of the pandemic, we've been helping more clients than ever with things over Zoom or over the telephone. We're signing documents electronically, uh, so we're still fully operational as an essential service. Okay, great. So let's talk about those steps then that it uh, takes to do a consumer proposal in this province. Yeah, you know, step one is probably the hardest one. That's to reach out. So step one is to connect with Sands and Associates to meet with one of our representatives, either myself or one of my colleagues, a licensed insolvency trustee or a qualified estate manager, uh, where we'll sit down and we'll do a free and confidential consultation. Uh, we want to sit down, we want to understand, I guess sit down virtually these days, uh, understand and assess your financial situation and discuss to you all of the options that are available um, to resolve your debt. So a proposal might be a great fit for someone that sits down with us uh, in one situation. Uh, another situation might not be so dire and we can just give them a little bit of budgetary coaching. Uh, maybe someone else, we need to, to coach someone, here's how you refinance a mortgage to deal with your debts. So we don't automatically default to a consumer proposal. We have to look at things like your income, your family size, uh, your objectives, and all other considerations just to make sure the proposal is going to be the right option, it's affordable, and it's set up from success from the start.
Nice. And again, you don't need a referral to come and see you. And sitting down or, or virtually sitting down with you, uh, the consultation, the initial consultation, absolutely free of charge. And I love this part that it's without obligation. So if you sit down yes. and go, oh, no, this is not for me. I'm not. And you want to walk out literally at that point, you certainly can. Or you can come up with some other options, which I love the fact that you guys, you know, just give people a, a bunch of different ways of dealing with their situation because quite honestly everybody's situation is pretty unique right mm -hmm. well and that's what's so interesting about being a trustee is yeah there's no two two days that are the same because behind every death situation there's a family there's circumstances there's a bunch of things that have happened to get someone to this point so you know the consultation is free but it's also free of judgment you're not going to feel like a bad person because you're in debt you know all we do every day is help people that are in debt and we do it without any sort of judgment or making you feel bad we just want to help you um, you know achieve a better tomorrow so, yeah, it's no referral required. You just give us a call or visit us on the website. And, you know, we're even doing meetings same day quite a bit these days. Nice. So let's say we decide that, yeah, this is the best uh, uh, step forward. Do a consumer proposal. What do we do then? So the second thing, uh, after we've had that meeting, we'll get you to fill out um, some documents for us, give us some basic information, uh, and then we'll prepare your proposal. So once we understand who you owe money to and approximately how much, once we understand your monthly budget, what you can afford to pay back, and if you have any other assets we need to consider, uh, we'll prepare the official filing documents, and then we'll have an online meeting either over the telephone or over Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever, uh, where you can sign the documents electronically. Uh, what happens from that day, and this can be as soon as, you know, literally a couple days after the initial consultation, if someone is pretty organized and give us the information right away, we can turn around documents very quickly. And as soon as you sign those documents, you're immediately protected. Your creditors are prohibited from charging you any further interest and are not allowed to contact you for any payments. Your trustee essentially steps in the middle between you and your creditors and enforces the ceasefire because what happens with a proposal, like any proposal in life, it can either be accepted or rejected. Now, 95% of the time, a consumer proposal that's made is accepted as it's filed. So it's a really high, high probability of success. But under the law, there's a 45-day voting period. So when someone sits down and signs those documents, that's day one of the 45-day voting period. And at the end of the 45-day voting period, the trustee uh, will phone you or send you a letter saying, you know what, the proposal's been approved as filed, and let's continue on and get you to make those payments. Um, what's great about a consumer proposal is we don't need unanimity of all of your debts to say yes. So if you might owe five people uh, a sum of money, and you know three of them really want to, to accept this proposal, but two of them don't, as long as those three people have a majority of your debt by dollar value, everybody is forced to abide by the terms of the consumer proposal. So you don't need to worry if one of your debts says, no way, no how, would I ever compromise on this debt? Well, as long as the majority of the creditors feel that, that they do want to compromise, um, you're able to proceed with the consumer proposal and get it approved. Excellent. And, th and, what, and then what, Blair? Well, once the proposal is approved, the next step is you fulfilling the terms. So once you sign the proposal, you stop making any debt payments, um, and then you start making payments on the consumer proposal. And we're going to get through a couple examples, I hope, if we have time, but the payments are significantly lower. So generally, people are in a much better financial situation because they're paying a whole lot less per month on the proposal than they were paying on their debts. They keep control of all of their assets. They do their taxes normally. The only thing they have to do other than make that proposal payment is to attend two financial counseling sessions, which people get huge value out of these financial counseling sessions. They talk to you about credit rebuilding, about life after the proposal, how you move forward with great financial habits, trying to make it a one-time only thing uh, that you have to do a proposal. 
Okay, well, let's, in the last minute and a half that we've got, let's go to those examples, Blair, that you alluded to. Yeah, thrilled to do so. So these are all very recent examples for us. Um, so one that we've worked with recently was someone with about $41,000 of consumer debt. So right, uh, kind of in the most common band of debt that we see. Uh, and we were able to settle that for $350 a month um, over 60 months. So they were paying back $21,000 with no interest, inclusive of all charges, no extra fees to the trustee ever. Um, so they came in owing $41,000 plus interest. They walked out uh, owing $21,000, no interest, and a payment of three fifty dollars a month that goes away after five years or sooner if they can pay a little bit more. Wow, that's quite something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it even gets better, Elaine. I've got, I've got one with a bigger reduction, too. A couple here. Okay, okay good. Can I do one more? Yeah, please do. Okay, so this is a self-employed individual, and he had debts around 43000 This included tax debt, which is quite often common for a self-employed person. We filed a proposal that got it down to $13,800 total, so reducing it by nearly 70% monthly payments of just $230 a month, so completely life-changing for this person. Completely life-changing. So if this is resonating with you and you want to take some action and you want to sit down with somebody uh, to see if your situation fits a consumer proposal, this is the number again. It's 1-800-661-3030 to get an appointment with someone from Sands & Associates as well as to find an office near you. They're literally located all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This is a great segment. Um, If you or someone you know uh, really wants to figure out next steps, consultations and considerations, what you can expect when you go and sit down virtually these days uh, with Blair or someone from the uh, Sands and Associates offices, which are located all over British Columbia, sit down and talk about uh, first steps in dealing with your with your debt. Uh, and no, I know, Blair, that people, that's a big deal to take that first step and, and often super nervous about the actual process. I think this is a wonderful segment that, that you're going to just go through uh, each piece of the process for folks. Yeah, exactly, Elaine. The, the big challenge that I have um, in, in my uh, professional life here is not that I can't help individuals, it's just I wish that I could help them sooner, that they didn't suffer for so long. The average person, it's about two years, and they tell me this, you know, again and again, about two years from when, you know, maybe they heard about Sands and Associates, felt that they needed the help, but they were just so scared to reach out. And it's generally fear of the unknown. It's a fear that they're going to be judged. Maybe there's going to be no solution to their problem. It's going to take a bunch of money or, you know, be a very intrusive process to get going. Uh, so I'm really happy today we can put a few of those um, those worries to rest and if this can just help even just one person um, you know pick up the phone or go online and reach out and get that consultation maybe sooner than they would have otherwise well and that's a big success that's going to ease some suffering for at least one person and I think that really speaks to who you are uh, in terms of why you became a licensed insolvency trustee that um, uh, that wonderful opportunity that you get to create each time you sit down with somebody to help them figure out their their debt solution and and, and with that, 
only a licensed insolvency trustee can do this work, even though it sounds like there's lots of people out there that can, really only the licensed insolvency trustees can. Yeah, there's only a thousand trustees in Canada. It's not easy to, to become qualified as a trustee because there's a lot of things that you need to know. Um, but what I sometimes say, you know, if I'm meeting somebody and they say, oh, you're a bankruptcy trustee or insolvency trustee, that must be depressing. I say it's the complete opposite. You know, I spend my days uh, giving people better news than they thought they would be able to get, giving people a plan for how they can make tomorrow so much different than yesterday, have a, have a future they're going to look towards with hope. And it all starts with that first meeting when they come in and sit down. And I think let's just throw in the fact that I don't need a referral to come and see you. That's right, Elaine. So, um, you know, you could, if you wanted to, you can, you know, call a lawyer and say, well, what trustee would they recommend? You know, hopefully most would say hands and associates. But, you know, the vast high 90-something percent of our clients, they just reach out to us directly. They either give us a call, uh, they go online and book a consultation that way, and it costs you nothing. You don't need to have a referral from anybody, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer, an advisor, or anything like that. A trustee is well-equipped to deal with you, um, you know, just right from the start without any middle person in between there. And right now, the only way you're seeing people, so to speak, is virtually. Is that right? Yeah. So since the pandemic hit, obviously, we want to preserve everybody's health and safety. The government's designated us as an essential service and given us permission to do everything online. So from document signing uh, to having first consultations, either over the telephone, Zoom, Microsoft Teams or Skype, uh, you know, we're well equipped to meet folks, however it works for them. You know, on the odd case, you know, we'll, we'll have someone in the office. Everyone's masked up and behind barriers. But for the most part, we're doing things quite remotely these days and people are quite happy with that. Okay, where do you start with somebody uh, when you're meeting them for the first time? You know, the first step often is to get people to relax a little bit and know what they're not coming for. They're not coming here to be judged. Uh, they're not coming here to be looked down upon. We know that anybody could be in a tough financial situation. It doesn't have to define them. So we're going to sit down in that consultation. We're going to start by understanding your objectives and what brought you in. So our goal is just to help in any way that we can. If that includes one of our remedies, great. Um, if it doesn't, well, then, you know, we'll try to refer you to wherever you can get the help that you need. But we'll ask, you know, if there's a specific issue that brought you in today, Day. Maybe your wages are being garnished. Maybe there's collection calls that you know are keeping you up in the middle of the night, and you know you just don't know what to do. Or are there any financial goals that you want to seek? You know, maybe you're paying all your minimums, but you just know you're not going to get out of debt um, in any reasonable point of time. So it starts with your objectives, uh, and then we move on to assessing your situation. So knowing what you want to achieve, and maybe it's making the pain stop. For example, we say, okay, well, let's figure out you know what we can do to help. So we'll ask you some basic questions about who do you owe money to, and a approximately how much you know it's not important to know down to the penny but down to a few thousand dollars that, that's helpful because that can basically give us an idea of what solutions are available to you we want to understand your monthly budget so what income comes in the door how reliable is it uh, are you self-employed where it's up and down each month or do you get the same paycheck it's been that way for years and years and you can count on it uh, you know, what's the family situation? Who's living at home? Um, are there people you're supporting in or out of the household? Is there requirements for child support or alimony? Uh, and then the last key item is, what are the assets that you own? Um, so, you know, do you have a house with tons of equity? Most of our clients don't. Most of the time, people are either renting or if they have a house, it's mortgaged almost completely where there's very little equity there. So that's not an option to draw on extra funds. So we want to understand your assets, your liabilities, the family situation, um, and then your objectives on how you like to move forward. 
And it's not like when you when you have that first consultation and and you re, and you look at everything and go, okay, this is your situation. This is what we're going to do. There's options. It's not just filing for bankruptcy or doing a consumer proposal that you offer. That's right, Elaine. So, you know, by law, a trustee is required to be completely agnostic about the situation or the solution that you choose to to follow, but we have to give you all the information. So there's typically seven things you can do if you owe somebody money. You know, everything from taking no action, and that might sound a little bit funny, but sometimes if someone comes into us, let's say they're, you know, 82 years old, for example, I had someone like this just last month, uh, they owe a little bit of money, and yeah, they could file a bankruptcy, or what they were really worried about is, can these people sue me? Can they start to take my pension? And I'm having a tough enough time making ends meet. And I was able to say to the gentleman, well, you know, you only owe a few thousand dollars. The odds of the, your creditors investing, you know, more than what you owe in a lawyer to take you to court and then trying to convince the judge to sue you for your wages or for your pension each month, that's probably not going to happen. So in that situation, we gave just some free advice. We said, you know, here's how you can stop the collection calls by sending a letter. Uh, here are the options that are available for you if you choose. But if we were in your shoes, you know, maybe just doing nothing is an attractive situation at this point because your credit rating might not be that much of a concern. So, you know, we'll look at that as an option for a lot of folks that we meet. um, You know, they really want to have good credit again in the future. They really want to make, um, you know, a fair deal on their debts and pay back what they can afford. And in those options, we can look at what's called a consumer proposal. And anybody that listens to us regularly is going to know how powerful a consumer proposal is, how it can reduce your debts, give you breathing room, save you all the interest. Um, So we'll talk to you about a proposal. And we'll also obviously inform you about if you chose to file for personal bankruptcy, you know, what does that look like? How quickly is the process going to go? What are the positive and negative impacts of it? And then it's going to go to fall to you to make a good decision. So, you know, we're often asked, well, you know, what should I do? And, you know, I, I say, well, I'm, I'm the trustee and independent officer of the court. I can't tell you what to do. That's not my role. But I can definitely tell you, here's what I would consider. And, you know, I would consider, you know, what age am I at? What stage in life? What are my future plans? And what can I afford to do? And all of those criteria are going to help somebody make a decision on the debt remedy that they're going to feel most comfortable moving forward with. Now, there's a lot of information that we could cover in this segment, the ins and outs of it all and the various options. But I want to go back to how we started in this last minute or so that we've got, is that you must hear every day from people who are anxious or nervous about getting some kind of advice. Uh, What reassurances can you offer someone who might be listening right at this moment who is probably feeling this way just listening to us talk about it. Yeah, I would say, you know, again, it costs nothing to meet with the trustee. It's not going to impact your credit rating. You're not going to be, you know, locked into any legal process just because you show up for a meeting. And everyone that I've ever sat down with, we've ended the meeting better than the person felt when they started. Even if we don't have the solution in that particular situation, they've now got information. They're armed with the most powerful quantity uh, commodity you can have, which is just the knowledge of what you can potentially do. And it can even be a resource for others. So I encourage people, and our role is not to judge you, not to make you feel worse than you might already do if you're in debt. It's to give you hope, give you options on how you can move forward for a life without debt. I think the key thing is to remember you're not alone in this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Check out their website, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Set up that first free consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment, all about bankruptcy, and I think it's a really good one. I did a lot of reading ahead on it just to figure it all out. And bankruptcy is one of those words that certainly has a huge impact Mm -hmm. on people, right? It's got a big punch to it. Uh, But in Canada and and our bankruptcy laws, lots of folks experience debt problems. And there's a lot of fear, misgivings, misunderstandings about it. Um, And I know that you guys, you and and everybody at Sands & Associates, talk to people about bankruptcy. bankruptcy every day. Uh, what are some of the questions that you hear the most from folks? Yeah, there's there's just a ton of misunderstandings, Elaine, and you're, you're right in that it's a word that most people think they kind of know what it means, but it's got this just emotional heavyweight that comes along with it as, a, oh my God, I could never see myself going through bankruptcy. I could never be a bankrupt. And from my point of view, having helped people for more than 13 years now, um, you know, it's often something you don't see it coming, uh, but bankruptcy can be just the best possible way to turn your life around from a path where you feel hopelessly in debt, unable to honor your obligations, you know, unable to basically put food on the table sometimes, to a future where you've gotten rid of that burden of debt, you can restructure and start again with a new lease on life. So, okay. so today we're going to hit a bunch of really frequently asked questions about bankruptcy. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting if someone's listening and thinking, you know, oh, maybe I thought this was true or not. There's probably at least one or two of your misconceptions that will probably be disproven. Okay, well, let's start at the very beginning mm-hmm. and give us a just a, a really good, solid definition of what is bankruptcy. Yeah, so bankruptcy, it's a legal process. It's only available through a licensed insolvency trustee. And it's a process that allows you to eliminate your debts of either a person or a business in the event that you're unable to repay things. So bankruptcy in Canada, it's typically, um, it's something that you do on your own. I've seen about one time in more than 13 years of practice where someone was forced into bankruptcy. For the most part, people make what's called a voluntary assignment into bankruptcy. They sit down with a trustee, they look at the numbers, they realize, oh my God, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I will never pay this debt off, or maybe they're being sued, their wages are being taken, whatever it is, they make the decision themselves. And it's important to know that there's no permission required to go into bankruptcy. So it's not the case your creditors or even the government can say, hey, you know what, this relief that you really want, you're not going to get that. We're going to just keep hounding you and hassling you and things like that. Um, In bankruptcy, nobody has the right to stop you from filing for bankruptcy. All you need to do is meet a test of essentially being insolvent. And what insolvent means to me, it means is that you're basically unable to pay your debts as they become due. So if you sold everything you had, could you pay off all your debts? That's one test of being insolvent. Or even if the assets that you have, you know, you've got this house, but you can't sell that because then you don't know where to live. Um, you're still not able to pay your debts. You could be insolvent even if you have some assets, if you're just not able to make your monthly payments. Okay. Now, is there some real criteria? Because I know that there's a money value. Do we ha- do mm-hmm. you have to hit a certain money value to owe before you can enter it? Yeah. And I think this would be one that's very surprising to folks unless they know it. Um, that money value hasn't changed since the law was originally written around the time of the Great Depression, and it's $1,000. $1,000. So, and in the times of the Great Depression, that's mm-hmm. a huge amount of money. You can imagine Today, that was closer to probably fifteen or 20000 back then. Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, it's only $1,000 is what you have to owe before you could be eligible to file for bankruptcy. Now, do I have anybody filing for $1,000? No. No. But I do have some filing for, you know, seven, eight, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, something like that. Um, but just if you think, hey, my problem is not big enough to need the help, well, it's a really individual question. You sure. know, somebody who's earning $1,000 a month, a debt of eight or $10,000 can be very insurmountable. Someone's earning $5,000 a month, a debt of eight or $10,000, well, they'll be 
able to get themselves under control. Right. So it, what's the process? How, do, how, do, how does one file for bankruptcy in this province? Well, as I mentioned, there's two ways that can be done, but really only one way. So um, the way that's never happens is that, you know, your creditor goes to court and they bring a trustee and they've paid a bunch of money to lawyers and to trustees and then you're declared bankrupt. Again, I've seen that about once in my whole career. Right. The other way is that it's a voluntary assignment where you sit down, you meet with a trustee. Typically, you'll see the trustee at least two to three times um, before you start the filing. You'll sit down, you'll sign some documents with the trustee. The trustee will then register those documents with the government and then you get immediate protection as soon as you file for bankruptcy. There's no court approval. Um, there's no court appearance that's required. You sit down with a trustee and you execute some documents. And when you say trustee, you mean licensed insolvency trustee mm-hmm. and you're one of them. Exactly. There's only a thousand trustees in Canada, give or take, um, you know, around a hundred and so in BC. And at Sands and Associates, we've got about 10 of them. Okay. So um, what uh, what are the some of the common questions you get asked when it comes to bankruptcy one and then you, the eligible debts? Like what what gets included in a bankruptcy or mm-hmm. what do I get forgiven in a bankruptcy? Yeah, and that's a huge, huge question because a lot of people have these misconceptions that, oh my God, a bankruptcy can't deal with government debt or it can't deal with student loans or if I borrowed money from a friend or a family member, if I go bankrupt, well, that can't be included. The answer is bankruptcy can deal with just about every debt that you can think of. So looking at a bit of an exhaustive list here, you know, consumer and business debts, things like credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans, consolidated loans, everything like that, all can be included in a bankruptcy. Uh, Income taxes, so again, different than what most people perceive, but amounts owing for personal income taxes, for GST, for business taxes, for payroll remittances, if you had an employee and didn't remit the correct amounts, and the interest and penalties on top of those amounts. So essentially all amounts owing to the government can be discharged or dealt with as part of a bankruptcy. Um, Student loans is another area where there's a lot of misconceptions, whether it's federal, provincial, or private. There are some extra protections for federal or provincial loans. You have to be out of school for a set number of years, at least five to seven. Um, But we can talk about that a little bit later. The takeaway there is if you've made a good faith effort to repay your student loans, they can be dealt with within a bankruptcy. Okay. Uh, it's very special to us in BC, ICBC debts. So right. sometimes it's actually the youngest clients I have in the year and the oldest clients in the year. Sometimes I have a 17-year-old client and you know a 92-year-old client and oftentimes they have one debt and it's an ICBC debt, you know, okay. either being uninsured uh, or something else where they're held accountable. Um, secured debts, if you had a mortgage or a car loan and you just wanted to end the commitment, return the vehicle, or if the property is sold at a loss, any of those types of unsecured foreclosure debts could be included. Um, And then finally, things like debts owing for a business if you've guaranteed those debts, or as I mentioned before, any personal debts between individuals. So it's almost easier to say what's not included in a bankruptcy, which is a very short list. The long list is the whole point of a bankruptcy is to get you back to owing nobody anything. So it's a pretty all-encompassing ability to deal with debts as part of a bankruptcy. Okay, now once I file, uh, does that mean that the harassment starts if I've fallen into that awful cycle? It stops. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the whole point, is as soon as you file for bankruptcy, you get what's called a stay of proceedings. So the stay of proceedings, it's a legal term, but what it means is essentially there's a ceasefire. Anything that's happening against you, any collection calls, any court actions, any asset seizures, any wage seizures, all of that has to come to a screeching halt as soon as the trustee is appointed. So if essentially this is a big big um, factor for bankruptcy is just getting that protection, that chance that you need to restructure without having somebody breathing down your neck the entire time. 
Okay. So what what about the fear, and because this is a big one, that I lose everything if I file for bankruptcy? I mean, that's got to be something that comes up for, for folks all the oh, time. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and people often ask me as a trustee, well, how do people even pay? Because if they're going into bankruptcy, you know, they've lost everything at that point. Exactly. And it's usually quite the opposite. People keep just about everything they have when they go through a bankruptcy proceeding. And what they do lose is the debt and the stress and, you know, the inability to see a good future. Now, obviously, if you have certain assets, if you've got, you know, a million dollars in the bank or some gold bars or a big house with no mortgage and you've got a little bit of debt, okay, you have to use the assets to pay those debts. But for the most part, people that come to see us, the assets that they have fall under provincial exemptions, which there's a, basically a provincial act called the Court Order Enforcement Act. And it says that no matter what, some things can never be taken from you, whether you go through a bankruptcy, whether you've been sued or something else has happened to you, you're entitled to have a certain base level of possessions, essentially to preserve the dignity of an individual. Right. So those base level of things are household items and clothing Uh, and household items are exempt up to a large value up to four thousand dollars at a garage sale value which i've never seen someone get more than four thousand at a garage sale for everything in their house so essentially everything you have in your house is typically considered exempt Um, clothing and anything you need for medical purposes those are all exempt to an unlimited amount you know a wheelchair a cpap machine all of your clothing everything like that no one's ever going to come and take that from you even if you go into a bankruptcy Um, a vehicle a lot of people are surprised you are allowed to have a vehicle uh, of a value of up to $5,000 and it's free and clear. Uh, if there's a loan against the vehicle, then we're just looking at the equity. If the car is worth $25,000 and there's a $23,000 loan against it, well, then it's a $2,000 equity in the vehicle and that person can retain that vehicle as long as it's less than $5,000 of equity. Okay. Um, home equity is quite surprising as well. Um, in the province of BC and the larger metro areas, up to $12,000 of home equity is allowed to be retained if you go into a bankruptcy. So it's not automatic that you lose your house. It's not automatic you even have to pay something to keep your house. If we look at the mortgage, the mortgage penalty, some transaction costs, if there's less than $12,000 of equity, if you file for bankruptcy, you keep the house, you don't pay anything extra to keep that. Um, a couple last ones that are really important, um, RRSPs. Any of our longtime listeners will know it just kills me when I meet with someone and they've cashed in RRSPs to pay debts. They're fully protected and they can never be taken from you, um, as well as work tools, tools of the trade, things that you need to earn income. Um, those are protected up to quite a large value as well. And then finally, any pension plans, any life insurance, if they've got a, a designated beneficiary like a spouse or a child or a parent, all of those things are exempt. So for the vast majority of folks, that I see when they come in to see me. Maybe they've got a vehicle, but it's financed. There's not a whole lot of of equity there. They usually don't have a house, but if they do, usually the house is pretty well maxed out to the mortgage. So they tend to keep the house and the car, their furniture, they keep just about everything, but they do get rid of the debt. Okay. So as we sort of wind down on this segment, and we're, we're going to talk about this some more, um, who, who knows? Who finds out if I file for bankruptcy? It's pretty private. So theoretically, if someone wanted to go to the courthouse and search public records, they could do so. Uh, I'm a trustee, and I don't even know the steps to tell you to how to do that, so I don't think anyone really does it. Um, but essentially, I have to notify the people that you owe money to, so the creditors, so anybody that you owe money to, the banks, the, um, the government, if there's just income tax debt or things like that, they get informed because otherwise they're going to keep collecting from you. But other than that, the trustee is aware, the creditors are aware, and that's it. There's nothing in the newspaper for about 99.9% of bankruptcy cases. Nothing happens in the newspaper. 
newspaper. Um, there's nothing easily searchable online, so it's generally a pretty private process. And do my creditors have to agree to me uh, filing for bankruptcy like they do in a consumer no, proposal? absolutely not. So that's a really important piece of that, a yeah. big difference, I guess. And that's why they're willing to accept a proposal because there's an option. If they say no, well, the person can just file a bankruptcy and the creditors have to deal with it, Got it. which is usually going to require them to get nothing back on their debts and write the whole thing off. And I know lots of people are always concerned um, about their credit report. Mm-hmm. And what kind of impact does a bankruptcy have on that? Yeah, well, it's not good. <laughs> so we'll start there. Sure. So anytime you don't pay your debts back in full, your credit takes a hit. But most of the time, if people actually sketch it out, your credit's going to rebuild far quicker going through a bankruptcy than it would if you had to sit down, and pay off all the debt over time with all the interest charges. Bankruptcy, once you finish it, it clears from your credit six years from that date of discharge. But most people within two to three years of finishing a bankruptcy, they could get a mortgage, they could have rebuilt their credit better than when they started. Uh, We haven't covered all the questions for sure. So this is how you can find out more answers. The website sans-trustee.com is terrific. It's filled with questions and answers, really nicely laid out and asked and answered. Or you can give them a call. It's nice and easy to do as well. There are Sands and Associates numbers toll free at 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us, Steve Saretsky, a super knowledgeable guy about real estate. He's a Vancouver realtor, author behind one of Vancouver's most popular real estate blogs, uh, considered a thought leader in this industry, of course, appears in all kinds of places. And I think this is worth noting. Uh, Steve's got a huge dedication to analyzing statistics, a really good seer of the financial landscape and and policies that affect the, the Vancouver real estate. And, and Blair mentioned just before we got started, that it's been about six months or so since we've talked to you, Steve, and uh, the uh, the impression is that things things are a little different for sure, and maybe not uh, as people expected them to be in the real estate market. Yeah, so Steve, th- thanks for joining us. Um, as, as Elaine mentioned, you know, six months ago, I think we thought you know foreclosures are going to start to to trigger. You know, the pandemic is going to have a negative impact on the real estate market. Um, but every headline that I'm seeing, it seems like, you know, the market, to, to put it one way, it seems to just defy gravity. Uh, you know, it just seems to, to go in the upwards direction. So I'm curious, what are you seeing, um, you know, or what have you seen over the last six months or so um, since we were last on the show? What are you seeing in the real estate market in the lower mainland? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think it's kind of defied everybody's expectations. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that this isn't um, particularly a Vancouver phenomenon. It's really just actually a global phenomenon. If you look at, you know, global property markets, whether that's in Vancouver, Toronto, or, you know, parts of the U.S. and Europe, uh, what they all seem to be experiencing is a, is a ramp up in housing activity. So despite, again, what has become a global recession, is there's this activity in housing. And I think that really boils down to, I think the hard part was to really predict is that, you know, how humans would react uh, during a pandemic and the behavioral aspect. What we've seen is basically people wanting to enhance their living situation, obviously spending a lot more time at home, you know, with stay at home orders, work from home orders, that sort of thing is everybody seems to want more space. And so what we're seeing is people are basically, upsizing, um, you know, moving further away from the city where they can get a little bit more affordability and a bigger home. And that seems to be the real trend supporting the housing market right now. 
Yeah, what, what would you have expected to see, you know, in, in typical in a, in a recession? Um, you know, would you have expected the, the real estate to hold steady or, or to increase as it has? Or is this, you know, pretty, uh, pretty unexpected, kind of the opposite of what we would have anticipated? Yeah, I think it's definitely unexpected. And I think that any rational observer would certainly is, is kind of left scratching their heads. But I think if we look at, again, that number one being the behavioral thing, uh, number two being all the support from policymakers. So, through the fiscal government, uh, the, from the government on the fiscal side, you know, through mortgage deferrals, through, you know, CERB checks, and then number three, through the central bank, the Bank of Canada, obviously coming in and providing a lot of liquidity support for the housing market, uh, you know, engaging in quantitative easing, which is, you know, certainly inflationary for asset prices. So, uh, you know, those three have, have really sort of kept, put, you know, basically put a floor onto the housing market. Yeah, how how much do you think? You know, obviously, I've, I've been uh, keep track of interest rates. Being a licensed insolvency trustee, you know, well, the rates haven't changed for debts. You know, credit cards are still twenty to thirty percent or so. Um, but as I see people coming in with mortgages, I'm actually kind of amazed. I'm like, wow, the the rates on these mortgages are are you know quite aggressive, quite lower than I've seen in a number of years. So, do you think that's a, a driver as well, or how much of an impact do you think that this um, you know, low mortgage interest rates is having on the market? Yeah, I think the, the low rates are certainly enticing more people to, to step into the market. Um, you know, I think, I mean, right now you're borrowing a five-year fixed mortgage at probably about 1.8%, give or take. So 1.8, it's the lowest, gosh, yeah. yeah, it's the lowest we've seen on record, obviously. So that's, that's again, another sort of support for the housing market. Um, money is basically free on, in, in essence. And, um so I think people are looking at that. And, and again, so, so when you kind of combine all these things, it starts to make a little bit more sense. But obviously, again, when you look at the underlying economic fundamentals and all the job loss and obviously the mortgage deferral situation, you're kind of left scratching your head wondering, well, you know, at some point is, is, is it going to succumb to economic gravity or, or do we have enough sort of measures in place here where it's going to buoy the housing market uh, until you can kind of get through on the other side. Yeah, and on those mortgage deferrals, Steve. So I don't know if, if you have any insight into in terms of statistics. You know, um, you know, a lot of people. I thought it was six months of mortgage deferrals from about March to September, uh, and at that time, um, you know, I didn't know how many folks would be able to to start making payments as well at that time. Uh, do you have any insight into what's happened since the deferral period has has elapsed? Yeah, so those deferrals are just now starting to roll off. Um, so the, the mortgage deferrals per the Canadian Bankers Association, they, they, they peaked out at 16%. So at what, that, what that means is at one point or another, 16% of all outstanding mortgages were at one point or another in some sort of payment deferral. That could have been deferred for a month or two months. It could have been six months. But at one point, 16% of all mortgages were deferred. Um, as of the end of September, which is the latest you know, data that we have, uh, six percent of mortgages are, are now are still in deferral or outstanding so obviously a lot of people are getting back on to paying off their mortgages again i think there's a lot of people that took the deferrals that didn't necessarily need them uh, it was more of a precautionary thing but six percent is is still a high number um again if you know some of these ultimately translate into you know going delinquent and into foreclosures obviously that's going to add on to you know, quite a bit more supply to the market. So it's still a number that is a little bit concerning. It's still a number worth watching, but um, yeah, I mean, we probably won't have a really good idea until probably the end of the year in terms of seeing all these deferrals not expiring by the end of the year and then seeing 
okay, well, who actually is resuming payments? And do you see any differences in segments of the market, you know, single family homes versus uh, condos, for example? Um, you know, just reading the headlines, it sounds like the condos are starting to soften a bit, but single family homes seem to be quite strong. Uh, are you seeing that, you know, in, in the local markets that you're active in? Yeah, there's there's definitely quite a uh, divergence right now. So the, the the hot segment is everybody, you know, kind of is, is becoming aware is the single family detached housing market. Pretty much anywhere you go, whether that's in the city of Vancouver, if you're going out to Langley or Abbotsford, or anywhere in between, those that segment of the market is is for the most part, I would say, red hot. You're seeing multiple offers, you're seeing higher prices. Um, that's where all, most of the activity is now. The condo market is is probably been the most impacted, particularly like downtown Vancouver. There's no point in paying. You know, I think people are looking at and saying, "Well, why am I paying such a huge premium to live downtown when I don't really have to be at the office?" Um, and so that, that's kind of the market that's hit, that's been hit the hardest, uh, during COVID. I mean, you probably have prices off 10%, uh, in the span of six or seven months. But then if you look at condos, you know, maybe further out the suburbs like Surrey or Langley or whatever, it, it's a bit, it's a bit more of a balanced market. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not going, prices aren't going down. They're not going up. It's kind of, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, uh, but sort of the, it's the inner city condo, uh, which seems to have taken the brunt of it so far. And I know making predictions is a, is a tough game at, at, the, at the best of times, and, and obviously things haven't went the way I would have predicted in a pandemic, and maybe you as well. Do you have any insight over the next six to twelve months? You know what, how you see things unfolding? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think that my personal opinion is that obviously there's still going to be a lot of economic pain. It's going to take some time to kind of get through this, but I think that for the most part, I think we're starting the recovery process, and things are slowly going to get better. So. You know, do do we bring in enough fiscal and monetary support to kind of get us through this where, you know, the housing market will miraculously be able to support itself? I, I think that's certainly, a, it, it, it seems to be a growing possibility. Um, I, still, I still think these mortgage deferrals translating into foreclosures because of the process in D.C. around court-ordered sales, it's probably more of a summer 2021 thing. Um, so in terms of, you know, distressed sales coming on the market, that's probably sometime next summer, early in next, next fall. So, you know, again, where, where's the economy by next summer, that sort of thing, like that's going to be, you know, that might be enough to sort of help balance out some of these foreclosures that will be coming to market. And wrapping up the segment, Steve, um, I just want to throw in your website. It's stevesoretsky.com. And I assume that that's the blog as well. If folks want to read more from you. Yeah, so just put a, put a weekly blog slash newsletter out uh, on that site there so they can if they want to keep up to date on sort of the Canadian housing market and, and uh, sort of macroeconomic space. That's, that's where I follow primarily. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.